Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Look, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. No, when it you're comes never to things short. <laughs> Go on. I'm five, You're five. Not <laughs> when it comes to opera, we're the only ones bringing you everything you need to know about the art form, the people, and the stories every damn week. And you always pronounce them so well. Check it out. <laughs> five bucks buys an ad on social media, ten bucks covers our website for a month, and twenty bucks makes a hundred lapel pins. So there are like maybe a hundred people in this world that have a lapel pin. So we want to double that number. Seriously, right. 20 bucks. That's less than what Oliver spends each week on light-bodied red wines, whatever they are. <laughs> like Gamay, you know, like a Cru Beaujolais, you know. Don't think it can give? Yes, you can. Simply review us on Apple Podcasts, share our Facebook posts, or retweet us. Most of all, keep listening to America's Talk radio show about opera. Oh. Okay, that was too many calls to action. So the main call to action is give us money, because that's obviously how you can help us. The other thing you can do is review us on iTunes, is that what you said? So if you don't feel like giving us money and you don't feel like spending precious time typing, what you can do is just click that share button when you see our post on Facebook, and you could like our page, actually. If you like our page, that helps us get to more people because Facebook is evil, and it basically helps us see your friends. Most of all, <laughs> keep listening to America's Talk radio show about opera. Enjoy the podcast. And retweet, because Toby loves that. <laughs> Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined tonight by Matt Cummings, Ashley Hardgrave, and our guest co-host, K.F. Jacques. All right, tonight, Chalk Talk. Rapper Kanye West's opera premiered in Hollywood a few weeks ago. Reviews are mixed. But we're going to take a closer look into the piece itself and see if that harsh critical reception was justified. And then in the hometown team, Lyric Opera of Chicago recently announced that it was getting all new seats throughout its home, the Civic Opera House. We spitball about what sorts of amenities the dream opera house of ours would have. Plus, we make some predictions on the upcoming Grammy Awards in the classical music division and in the two-minute drill... A legendary director exits stage right. And, of course, you can call us on air. Get your voice heard. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Give us your hot take on the latest opera news stories. 847-866-9687. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score. And uh, post, of course, on the Facebook page, Opera Box Score as well. Man, it's been so long since a number of us have been in the studio all together. That would include, of course, Matt Cummings. George, I was starting to think that you didn't exist. Oh, you, oh no, I exist. I mean, that remains to be seen. I always knew you existed. I, I thank you, I guess, but... I don't know where that. I still can't even see you. Where you're behind a. You're, you're behind. I'm here in the Lakeside Studio. You're over there in the interview room, along with <laughs> Ashley Hardgrave. Right I, here. I had you for like two seconds, and then you disappeared. I know everyone still exists. So I'm just trying to verify that with my ears. So you guys go on. It's true. We do still exist, as Matt was joking. And the other person that exists, of course, back from oh man, I can't even remember the last time he was on the show. But this is his second appearance. 
KF Jacques. Yes, hello, hello. Great to have you back Glad on the show, my friend. Yeah, great to see you again. Thank we you. have we have so much to talk about tonight. Super quick, just going to kick it off with a little sports. My Michigan Wolverines sadly dominated for the eighth year in a row by the Ohio State Buckeyes. I don't know how we're going to break this problem out there in Ann Arbor, but we better figure it out. I can tell you right now, though, is that I, I back Coach Harbaugh 100%, and this is not a, this is not a problem that uh, we're going to let keep us down for too long. I'm glad that Ashley's back from the South. Uh, Razorback football, of course, is over. Oh, boy, is it over. My God, is it over. You sound relieved. I am. Man, it has been a... Let, let's put it this way. When a uh, when we're trying to decide whether or not to bring Houston Nutt back as a replacement for the coach, you know things are bad. Um, but I am full of butter and full of sweet tea and full of attitude. So buckle up. Your, your, your accent is so thick now. It's very thick. That's what happens when I have four days with relatives. I'm really glad that my Pittsburgh accent is still non-existent. It is not. Yins guys. Yins and Yeah. Let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight on Opera Box Score. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1, Evanston, Chicago. Kanye West, a few weeks ago, last week, 10 days ago, God, the time is blazing by. Time is a flat circle these days. It is, it is. He uh, released the latest incarnation of his creativity, which was an opera called Nebuchadnezzar. Who wants to take a deep dive and try and set up what this experience was supposed to be? I would love to. Get in there. All right. (laughs) Jacques, Um, tell us all about it. All right. So when Kanye West says he's going to do an opera, I automatically assume we're going to hear some (laughs) hip-hopera, something operatic with hip-hop infused into it. Um, And... um, so where do I start? I mean, I heard some hip-hop motifs, and I heard some, some themes from hip-hop songs, but I didn't really hear any hip-hop in this thing at all. Now, question mm-hmm. for you. Did you. Do you have a title account? Did you stream the whole thing? I sure did. Okay. Okay, <laughs> good. I'm going to have a number of going to be at your house later. Right, right on. Let's yes. do it, man. <laughs> I'd love to. So, what did, uh, Jacques, what did you expect before you got your stream going, what did you expect? Uh, before I got my stream going, I read a whole lot of negative press. So my expectations were very low. And I can say that it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, that said. And so the piece, again, Nebuchadnezzar, it's the original idea, right, is this 6th century BC character. It's this Babylonian king from the book of Daniel. So this is a religious text. Mm-hmm that we're dealing with. Um, And the press release from Kanye said that, quote, this will dramatize Nebuchadnezzar's transition from wicked, imperious, self-declared ruler to a true believer who finds salvation in his faith. In other words, Kanye West. (laughs) Kind of, yeah. I mean, he's, let's be fair, he's been on this journey for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there are, there are bits and bops of uh, of good old Christianity and our buddy JC coming in and out of everything, starting in his debut album. So, yep. it, you know, a lot of people that have not been following his career for more than the last handful of years are like, oh, Kanye found God. And it's like, no, God never left Kanye. He's been with Kanye. He's just being more vocal about it now. Yep. 
Amen. <laughs> a part of the the team, it was a large team that put this piece together. Was is this a band that's called Sunday Service? Is this an experience? Help me. What is Sunday Service? <laughs> Sunday Service is an experience by far. It's uh, Kanye's church without him calling it a church. Basically, basically yeah. yeah. And is he? But he's not really the center of. Sunday service, right? Kanye is the center of anything that <laughs> Kanye is involved with. By design. The thing well the thing about Sunday service is like if you've if you've done any you know, if if you've experienced any part of Sunday service, it's probably going to be in little clips that are on social. It's very interesting because there are a number of like non-disclosures that people have to go through. The guest list is super tight. There's a really strict dress code. Everybody's got to dress in the same tones. No devices. Uh-huh, exactly. Exactly. So it's you know, it's it's kind of, for me, it's interesting because there are a lot of things about it that look like a high profile, high security celebrity elite event. Mm-hmm. But then in some respects, it's also bordering on cult, like everybody wears the same thing. Mm-hmm. We're coming together to repeat mm-hmm. the same things over and over again sure. in hopes that you will believe the thing that the central character believes. So anyway. I, and Sunday service happens in Los Angeles. It happens in a lot of places. Uh, the first one actually happened in Coachella uh, on Easter Sunday uh, because that was when Coachella was happening. Um, but it happens, you know, sometimes they're in Calabasas. I think he's even had one out in uh, in what is his new ranch in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, it travels. There was one at the Staples Center, if I believe correctly. Yeah. That sounds or, right, Or it? an album release for Jesus King. It was, But they, it, it's all a blur because they're so similar. And What's crazy to me is that this has only been going on since like April of this year. Yeah. And they yeah. Keep, what? Like wow. It, yeah, it feels it keeps, like it's been longer. Than I, God, everything feels like it's been going on longer than that. <laughs> Time point. is but a flat circle. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> That's insane that this has been happening for less than a year. Yeah. I mean, obviously, everything the man touches is going to explode mm-hmm. in one way or another for good or for ill. Mm-hmm. That is that is phenomenal. So there's a fair amount of ill in reading kind of the collected reviews. Some of those are on our website as well, operaboxscore.com. It's Opera box score on WNUR 89.3 FM that you're listening to. So let's see here. Uh, Vanessa Beecroft, the Italian British performance artist who's worked on and off with Kanye for over 10 years, she directed the thing. Uh, apparently, according to reports, the set was still being built in the Hollywood Bowl. The show started two hours late. Yeah. Is that was because, like, the design was still being completed. Well, I mean, you mentioned this whole, it's been 10 days since that. Uh, that, from the reports that I'm getting, is about double the actual rehearsal time of the whole production itself. Uh, so I, I found out after the fact that uh, I have... I have some rough personal knowledge and intel about some people that were that were in the ensemble. Well, and we're all about hearsay on this show, so <laughs> lay it down, Ashley. Well, what happened was I heard that, um, <laughs> no, basically some of my um, former colleagues and students uh, got calls. 24 hours later, they were on planes to Wyoming. And a handful of days later, they were at the Hollywood Bowl, all dressed in the same outfit, getting ready to go on stage and perform this two hours late piece that ended up being only 56 minutes long. Um, And there's, you know, in some ways, it's like, oh, you kind of want to roll your eyes and be like, oh, my gosh. But at the same time, he's somebody that gets passionate and then immediately reacts and drives without doing a whole lot of thought or without 
I, that sounds negative, but I mean, he, he gets so excited about things that he wants to put them out. He wants to create and put it into the universe as quickly as possible um, based on these, you know, really exciting and largely really good artistic whims that he's had in the past. So getting as, out our dreams, basically yeah. get those dreams out. But that's the thing is like some people are like, oh, my God, this was probably rehearsed. And I agree. But that's kind of his style. And many times it really ends up working in his favor. So why wouldn't he believe both because it's worked for him before and because he's Kanye West, why wouldn't he believe that this would just magically work? I mean, he's and that I mean that that's certainly not disqualifying from an opera history standpoint either. No. Like there's all the, there's all kinds of myths out there about you know Mozart wrote the Don Giovanni Orchestra uh, or Overture the day that it premiered. Rossini fully ripped arias from one score and put them into another because no one in the in the new audience had probably heard them before mm-hmm. you know like that's if anything buying him into the tradition mm-hmm. uh, of, <laughs> of, of last minute compositions for that's operas a, that's a very good point indeed yeah uh Jacques, so you you watched the whole thing go yes. down yes i mean were you moved at all by it like um so i did enjoy the music um but even by Kanye's own standards, I felt like it was underdeveloped. Um, there was a lot of repetition. Uh, my favorite parts were the popular references. Like, you know, you got Sheck West on stage, and then all of a sudden the whole choir is like, uh, like they're doing the Sheck West theme or whatever. Right, yeah. And uh, also at the end... When they were doing, when they were putting in the gospel ending, which is for most Baptist churches, I mean, that's how you end the church service anyway. That's the invitation. It's yeah, the, yeah, it's the invitation mm-hmm. exactly. So, it's uh, so I, I really enjoyed those parts. So I, I, it ebbed and flowed. I didn't find any. There was no point where I felt transcendent at all. And what did it look like visually? Right when I read the reviews, part of the critique here is that. The point, one of the goals of Operite is this marriage of music, text, and story, and design, right? And dance. So all these different elements to, to really have a narrative and tell a story. But what was the element of design? What, what did this thing look like? It looked very much like Kanye. <laughs> uh, very, very stark, monochrome. Um, matching outfits. Matching outfits. Uh, the whole minimalist idea, which... Uh, you know, you start wondering, like, of course, I went in hearing all the stories and reading the articles about late starts and all that stuff. So you start thinking, OK, I see I can see where some production corners were cut or, you know, like, hey, if you don't have to worry about color, then you don't have to worry about lights. You know, <laughs> like so so um, there were there were some moments where I think it could have been more successful if they had put the time in to create some sort of contrast. And there was none. I didn't feel like there was any visual contrast during the whole performance. This is what is so frustrating as a stage director to read these reviews. I didn't see it on the stream, of course, is like for a man of that talent. And I think you do have to label Kanye West as as talented. I mean, in the way that Beyonce is supremely talented and a true artist is like it feels so frittered away. And it's like, man, if you just sat down and like wrote this stuff down and really thought through it and really rehearsed it, this sort of thing, it could take over the world. And you just like, I actually, I get your point that, okay, this guy shoots from the hip and like he's feeling it and he has to do it now. And it's on a plane in 24 hours and all that. But it's like, it feels like such a missed opportunity. 
I would concur with that. Yeah, in my in my notes for the show, uh, I did mention. Oh, wouldn't it have been great if there had been two whopping weeks of rehearsal for this thing? Because there would have been a chance to really. I mean, th- the story itself is interesting. The way that it was presented, which was largely like you know, big fat choral blocks with really gorgeous orchestrations, with one dude in in a different colored outfit running around the stage, with Kanye kind of like shouting both the narrative and the stage direction. If, if anybody had seen it all the way through one time, somebody would have said something, mm. you know, so that just leads you to believe like, hey, either, you know, either nobody saw this all the way through and had a note about it or it was, you know, not particularly listened to. Um, you know, the thing about the thing about him is that he's got, like you said, there, you know, the, for me, talent is someone who can do something that nobody else can or they can do it far better than anybody else. And I think there are a lot of things that he does very well and arguably better than a lot of other people that are in the game either have been before him or since him. Um, I will say, though, that some of the stuff that was there, and one of the things that actually got me really excited um, was to see that the the music direction was going to be the same people that do the music direction for Sunday Service for him. And it's this really amazing production supergroup called The Stereotypes. I mean, they have all but shaped pop music for the last 10, 12 years. I mean, they, everybody from... You know, Diddy's group Danity Kane to uh, some of the best hits for Bruno Mars. They're working with Celine Dion right now, who is like doing this big pop resurgence. So like they these guys really know what makes a hit for the masses. So and you can hear that there's there's only a handful of clips that you can have without this magical title title subscription um but the things that you hear it's again it's that traditional what you hear in the clips of sunday service those huge block choral chords with like a chorus of you know 50 to 80 depending on how many matching outfits we have that day i mean they're really really gorgeous it was interesting to me also to see that um not all of the music in the production was his Mm. um there's a there's an artist who i love and his name is peter collins he's a singer songwriter if you don't know who he is Look him up. I'll, it's Peter Collins' music. He's incredible. Uh, he's a singer-songwriter on guitar, and Amazing. I knew through his social media. He's brilliant. Oh, my God. He's got... What a moment. He is so stunning, and that's that's how all of his songs are. He's that transcendent across the board, but I saw on his social media, hey, flying to L.A., going to be in Kanye's thing, and I was like, well, now I'm doubly interested, and sure enough, one of the Twitter links that I found, which we can post... Um, it has a like a two-ish minute clip, and it's uh, it's a reworking of his song "Sunshine." That's an original from Peter Collins mm. that he's singing with different lyrics that fit the text of the piece. But again, it's one of those really beautiful moments. He that's was. not just like a block chord with and Nebuchadnezzar fell down. Like there's a real there's <laughs> actual movement that's happening, and you can see like there's a ripple effect in the chorus, like a physical ripple. So it was there were moments of beauty, like there really were. It's America's Talk Radio Show about opera on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist with you tonight, along with Matt Cummings, Ashley Hardgrave, and our guest co-host, K.F. Jacques. We're talking about Kanye West's latest opera slash oratorio. I guess I can throw that word out there. Jacques, what do you feel like the knock-on effect is going to be of this event? How is this going to prevent something like this from happening before? Is it going to promote something like this happening in the future, whether it's part of Kanye's design or not? Like, is this going to really change the landscape at all? I think that when people, uh, first of all, I I tried to look at it from a perspective of what if this wasn't Kanye, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's never on stage. You just hear his voice. 
So when I try to take myself out of it that way, I thought, well, gee, someone else should have narrated this thing. <laughs> yeah. So I have a list of about four actors. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if somebody else narrated, then it would be like, oh, like, like, you know, dude brought it. Or like, or, you know, you want to wonder when you hear his voice, there's just this um, uh, omnipresence that, that can be a little heavy. You know, it's, it's just a little bit too much Kanye, especially right now. Like everybody's like, ease up, bro. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. So um, so I, I thought that would be nice. So as far as the future or what this leads to, I couldn't help but visually think that he's creating a palette for other people, you know, to sort of to imagine you know what i mean and and i don't know if it was intentional or not and with that and that's part that's one major argument with kanye is you don't know what is deliberate and what's not deliberate but when i'm watching all these stark colors and these wonderful sounds you are drawn to the sound more than anything you almost don't want to watch because honestly it was it was lacking on the visuals Mm -hmm. right so you want to you want to be pulled into that music but um I, I couldn't help but think, wow, I'm imagining, I'm, I'm, I'm coloring a world. I'm coloring a world just by listening to this. So I, I think it'll lead to more exp- exploration. I don't know if Kanye is going to have the opportunity to do it or if people are, are going to try to stop him from, from moving further in this sort of idea. But again, he's, he's just getting out his dream. So is this something that he wants to touch on? He's saying that, you know, there's more music coming, but I don't know if there's more opera productions coming or... You know, if if this is something that if it's a beginning of something or if it's something that he's gonna uh, put aside. Yeah, I mean, I first of all, his his next album is slated for release on Christmas Day. We will see if that happens. Uh, the releases of Jesus is King definitely got pushed back once, twice, a couple of times. Um, I will be I will be interested to see. Again, there's a um, there's an article that we found on the Daily Beast, and it's from a concert goer that was there in the house that day. And this is decidedly someone who is not much of an opera viewer in that traditional sense, but she was going to go because she understood what this spectacle was going to be. She wasn't there because of the word opera. Mm. She was there because of the word Kanye and the fact that it was next to opera and everybody, you know, that has any sort of morbid curiosity is going to go. And, uh, and the article talks a lot about how there were, you know, kind of two specific camps. There were people that were there kind of to sort of hate watch the whole thing and just expected it to be a full disaster. And then there's that camp of people that no matter what will root for Kanye secretly or publicly. And they just want Kanye to succeed. They want to see the shoot from the hip creativity that comes from him. And, uh, and so it was interesting. The, you know, the, her final words were, I was tired. I wonder when Kanye would stop scamming us. Jesus edition. I came to the opera with no expectations, but still I was there writing notes, sipping lukewarm alcohol and trying to make sense of a performance that seemed barely pulled together as that same man across the aisle from me stood up at an unpredictable moment to clap and adore. After the boredom and the resentment, you see people just really want to love it. So I think there are people that root for this being this figure and wanted him to succeed um and so they came because of that if in any way this gets them intrigued about the grand definition of this word that is opera i say let's do it again i say more power to him i say go for it maybe not this in particular without a couple of workshops and rewrites (laughs) but i think there's like i like i mentioned once before uh, in our conversation before the broadcast, I think that there's a there's a very significant population of people that would be considered quote unquote real opera people, and they are ready immediately to sort of shut this down and discredit it. But if we do that, 
all of that inclusivity, all of that we need to reach new people, new audiences that we try to do so much, we are automatically becoming the elitist that we that they claim that we are. If mm. we're like, there's no way that this could be considered opera. There's no way that this could be considered part of this art form. So I think it's it's important to sort of be as open-minded as we want to always assume that we are when it comes to these types of productions. Can I add on to that? That um, when I, after reading the articles and then seeing the title production, I thought there would be less uh, classical singing, less operatic mm -hmm. vocals. And um, and there was quite a bit. I was I was pleasantly surprised by that. I thought, you know, that that really did have uh, a good base for for calling it an opera, even, even though it's sort of an oratorio. <laughs> I mean, it is sort of an oratorio, right? And it's it's not a new idea to stage and to design oratoria, right? That, that has happened throughout the 20th century, you know, most recently in the hands of people like Keenie Mitchell in England, um, Christopher Peter Sellers, Orton, Peter sure. Sellers. Peter yeah, Sellers, absolutely, sure. Peter Sellers in yeah. this country. And yeah, I mean, Ashley, as you say, like, we should be going to bat for Kanye West for trying this thing. Like, for this specifically, other things we can... We can most certainly debate him upon. Yeah, exactly. But like, look, the man is in a privileged position to use his money, his prestige, his contacts to try something new, to try and push this art form forward, whatever you want to call it. What's in a name, right? Yeah. And that for me makes it even a little bit more frustrating that it felt so half-baked. Right. You know, like I was, I was honestly hoping, even though I don't consider my like I'm, I don't really know that much about Kanye West music I don't listen to it that much I I wanted it to be this smash hit that would just totally take over and transform what people thought of as opera and I think that the biggest obstacle to it doing it is Kanye himself the yeah. fact that he's not at the uh, the fact that he tried to do it in a week and a half when really he needed a couple months at least and he didn't get out of his own way yeah. when it came to something this grand because yeah a lot of times he really does like he pulls together incredible teams yes. to, to help get his visions and his projects to see the light again those producers the stereotypes my goodness the work that they do for him mm -hmm. and putting his albums together like he calls the right people when it comes to that portion of his art and I was like you hopeful that he would be able to call on his really great casting ability to bring in the people to do this. You can read more about Nebuchadnezzar on, well, basically pretty much anywhere on the <laughs> internet. At this point, we're going to leave it there. What kind of stuff does your fantasy opera house have? We're going to give you our lists. That's coming up next on America's talk radio show about opera. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1, Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Support for Opera Box Score is provided in part by Opera Philadelphia. For the first time in over 30 years, Opera Philadelphia presents special concert performances of the massive masterpiece, Verdi's Requiem. That's what she said. <laughs> this dramatic exploration of the Roman Catholic Mass for the Dead comes to life with over 80 instrumentalists, 100 choristers, <laughs> and the powerhouse vocals of four of opera's rising stars. I want to say these people have risen already. Lea Crocetto, Daniela Mack, friend of the show. Oh, friend of the show, Daniela yes. Mack. Yes. Just top-notch. Uh, Absolutely top-notch. Evan Leroy Johnson and In Sung Sim. Opera Philadelphia's own maestro Corrado Rivares conducts in celebration of his 20th anniversary with the company. Here for yourself why NPR 
if they say something, then you've got you to know it's true. Yeah. yeah. Why NPR calls the Requiem a conductor's dream come true, and so it is. Verdi's Requiem at Opera Philadelphia for just two performances, January thirty first and February second. Don't miss it in the historic Academy of Music. Get tickets today at operaphila.org. You know. I just clear. I'm clearing some stuff off my DVR because I feel like it's the holidays are coming. I'm mm-hmm, just a lot mm-hmm, going on there, and I just watched the Requiem from the Hollywood Bowl conducted by Dudamel with uh, with Michelle DeYoung, who died that time, <laughs> and um, what's his name, Victoria Gugolo, Gravy, 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 and. Uh, I forgot who the bass was. Ilibraldo D'Arcangelo. And the soprano was somebody I'd never heard of. I probably should know her name. And she was really good, but she was not, like, name recognition soprano. Well, you know, I, w- I, would, call, I would call Verdi's Requiem probably top th- top two rec- Requiems yes. ever done, Well, right? it, is, it is a conductor's dream come true. For and, sure. End of ad. How about we root for the home team? Baseball season. Underway. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. The segment is Hometown Teen. There's really nothing hometown about it, I suppose. I just wanted to hear the Cubs uh, theme song. <laughs> That's all. It's George Cedarquist on Opera Box Score with Matt Cummings, Ashley Hardgrave, and our guest co-host tonight, K.F. Jacques. Jacques, how are you feeling? Very good, very good. So great to have all of you in the studio. It's a rare alignment of the planets. Lyric made this announcement maybe two or three weeks ago that they were getting all brand new seats. Mm -hmm. And that got me dreaming and wondering what it was that I was going to put in my dream opera house. It would not be seats. Mm. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, everyone has to stand in your, in your, in your <laughs> opera house. They do not have to stand, but I'm not going to go first and reveal. We're going we're gonna to have Matt go first and tell us what is it that's in his dream opera house. So first off, I'm going to say that the lyrics plan to do new seats from what I can read does not solve the worst part about their seats, which is that if you are taller than about five six and you're sitting in the balcony, you want to die for that entire performance. Mm-hmm. There is at, like d- it hurt. I'm not even that tall, and my knees can't take yes, it. Yes, Matt. <laughs> Jacques is cringing over here in the in the Lakeside Studio. I'm feeling great. Yeah, I bet you are, George. <laughs> I mean, George, you and I can sit in the in the balcony and be fine. Anybody that has on shoes taller than us is going to be uncomfortable in the balcony. Okay, so but so it, what do you want to do, Matt? But if I were, you know, if I were designing my opera complex from from scratch, I would want more than one theater size because mm. it would be great if you could have this big this one compound where there was one auditorium that you could do these grand operas in. Your Don Carlos, your Aidas, your Joconda, if someone is going to do Ponchielli's La Joconda these days. Um, And then like a middle size, like more of a European style theater, like maybe more like to something with something like 2000 seats so that you could do really anything. But there are people that could sing heavier roles that 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 wouldn't be able to get away with it in a 4000 seat house like mm. the met uh the way you see like middleweight lyric sopranos ta- tackling the tackling tosca in in europe because they can get away with it in a house half the size and then if you could also get a chamber space going mm. all all under one roof all mm-hmm. under all uh, operating under the auspices of one company that's really able to give these three different types of operas the different resources and the different sorts of productions that they deserve that would i mean that that would be the dream well i'll get right on that matt yeah (laughs) i'm taking donations okay 
You're going to need them. <laughs> Ashley, what is on your dream opera house list? You know, it's funny. The stuff that I was thinking of are all things that could probably be amended by current houses that had even a meager budget. So take note, houses. I will come and be your consultant if you want these. Um, something that I would love to do would be to have a more comprehensive set of straight English super titles. So maybe that's just me having a hearty sit down with a bottle of wine with whoever's writing these darn <laughs> things and saying, listen, nobody talks like this. Can you make this sound like people that are on the street? So that's, that's item one. Item two, is it weird to say nacho bar? I just feel like everything is better with nacho bars. Like I think we can empirically prove that everything is better with a nacho, nacho bar. I mean, can you imagine just hanging out at La Jaconda and just like shoveling in some like really yummy we got a queso? Lot of, we got a lot of Jaconda stands like, on this podcast. Like, you know, like tonight. design your own. Uh, Boem, whatever. Yeah. Actually, no. I'd need it for cozy. That's long and uh, this story's kind of boring. Definitely so I nacho this bar. Sounds, this sounds really salty. So what are you going to drink with your nachos? Well, beer. Rosé? Oh, beer. Okay. Okay. Um, and then finally, this is actually the one that's my, my more serious one, is I would love to see houses either individually or collectively come up with some sort of an app that's like an, a user experience that basically is like, here are my tickets. Oh, I'm going to see Carmen on this day. Wait, what's the story again? Oh, cool. I can click on the synopsis. Oh, cool. I can click on the translation. Oh, cool. I can click on, I have five minutes. What are the things I need to know before what's, I walk into the house? What's some music that I might recognize from this opera? Exactly. Like, what should I be listening for? Like a full interactive user yes. education experience. TM, TM, TM. If anybody's doing this, you have to call me because I just trademarked it. Utter so. genius. Yeah. Utter genius. Opera America, the umbrella organization for opera they give grants to develop just that sort of stuff well i do work in intellectual property by day so maybe we can develop this <laughs> word wow okay so wait nacho bar nacho bar and an app so okay yeah excellent jacques what's on that list of those amenities in that dream opera house of yours uh matt beat me to it with the seats. I was definitely thinking about seats because <laughs> anybody that knows me knows that I'm six, four and a half. You sure you were thinking about nachos, buddy? Even on the main floor, George, I am crammed. And I think, and I always think to myself, you know, like, imagine if, you know, if people were actually comfortable, if they had some leg room. And I don't know actually... how Pau Gasol used to do it when uh -huh. he, he was a huge fan of the lyric. That, he's got still like seven inches on you. So in the European houses, they have these vaulted... I mean, they're much smaller, but they have these vaulted, you know, rooms basically with boxes going all the way up. And some of them have boxes on the rear of the main floor, you know, and, you know, there's just little cordon off spaces, kind of like Ravinia Festival. So I, I want more of that. I want more leg room. That's that's all I'm thinking about. You fly, I'm, I'm basic, you know. It's, it's, very, it's very simple, but very effective, actually. So So you might be happy at the new lyric. If there is going to be... We shall see. I think on the main floor there is. But in the balcony, they can't really change that much. Yeah, that's the problem is that there's not... It, just structurally, unless they're going to take out a row of seats, which automatically kind of defeats the purpose of this investment to drive up revenue because they're going to take out a line of seats to reduce revenue. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see if, if those main floor folks get so excited that they, uh, they build up that part of the budget enough for it to be worth the investment. The uh, It's Opera Box Score, by the way, on WNUR 89.3 FM. We're talking about those things on our dream lists for our opera houses. Here's what I want in my opera house. I want to get rid of the fly tower. The idea more about in that, scenic design that you would have things come from above and drop 
to the stage. This is a very antiquated piece of theater machinery. There's something very unpoetic and very heavy about drops coming in and, and flying out, which is completely destroys any magic or beauty of the theater. The beauty of the theater is all about the trap door and the trap room and things coming up out of the ground. That is like life. That is like things growing. That is magical. And I want the world's most incredible trap room with like multiple elevators and there's a revolving stage and there's staircases. It's like this MC Escher. I think you just described the Broadway production of Les Miserables. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true with, with, the, with the trap doors as well? Yes. Um, it's all about trap the doors. trap room. And it's that is going to be the thing on my one of the things on my on my list in addition to and this goes along with nacho bar actually ashley the problem right now to me about say lyric or other opera houses i've been to in this country is that there's no place after the opera to go and have a drink and some food and to talk about the art and the work that you've just seen. I want to keep the party going Yeah. after the show. I want to go hang out with my friends, my family, other audience members, hear their conversations. And I want to keep that party going and talk about the work instead of like running for the train mm. or being bundled the up show into the street. <laughs> don't, yeah, Matt, don't even get me started <laughs> on those people. <laughs> But there's no space for that. There's no place for that, That's right? Really good point. And I would love to be able to to build. I don't know what that would look like, but I would love to be able to build that as well. Of course, we want to hear your wish list items as well. You can simply tweet us at Opera Box Score or email us. It's operaboxscore at gmail.com. I'm thinking maybe when we do our, our um, holiday extravaganza in a couple of weeks, we might bust out a few a few more of those wish list items and nacho recommendations. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, Ashley Hardgrave, and Oliver the Man Camacho. The Grammy Awards uh, have been announced in all those different categories. The Grammys aren't actually until next. 2020, right? February. Uh, they're they're the end of January. They're the end of January. Okay. They are usually in February. They're, they're doing yeah, it early this year. They're usually right around my birthday, so I always like the Super Bowl and the Grammys are always like bookending my birthday in some way. Got it. Yeah, January 26. Ah, they're early. Matt Cummings, who in the classical music divisions might we want to keep an eye on? Why are they? Why have they been nominated? And who might get that final phonograph trophy? My pick for uh, a record you should all definitely check out is Julia Wolf's Fire in My Mouth, mm. which was a multimedia oratorio concert collaboration between the New York Philharmonic and their conductor, Jaap van Zweden, uh, and Donald Nally and, his, and the women of his choir, The Crossing, and also the Young People's Chorus of New York City uh, and their director, uh, Francisco J. Nunez. Uh, I listened to a little sample of it today to kind of get a feel for it, and I found myself, uh, I couldn't turn it off. I listened to the entire thing. Uh, it's about an hour long. It, it tells the story of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, and uh, there the and it has a chorus of about 150 women and girls armed with scissors that they use as percussion instruments, uh, and they sing about their, the lives of being immigrants and 
the horror of being trapped inside for this tragic event and then also the activism uh, and the and the work for the future that came out of it. And in, in the world that we find ourselves living in right now, stories about uh, immigration hit, espe- hit especially hard for many people. And this music, uh, it has a lot of the same kind of driving minimalism that you hear in like a Philip Glass opera or uh, Louis Andreessen's music. And it, it is so powerful in the way that it can take a single kernel and just really hammer it home over the course of an hour. It It's incredibly powerful music. Uh, and it is music by a woman composer featuring mostly woman musicians uh, telling the story of women who were taken advantage of 100 years ago. That still really rings true today. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a great, that's a great nod. Uh, anything else out there for the Grammys coming up uh, in classical music that we want to keep an eye on? Well, as far as I'm concerned, Joyce DiDonato should win every award always. Uh, so the fact that she's up for both Best Classical Solo Vocal Album for song play, uh, I know it's not opera, but she's just such a delight and national treasure. I'm always rooting for her at any given time. So go, Joyce, go. I also see Donald Nally uh, with his group The Crossing. This is in the Choral Performance Division. He's uh, nominated He's- for two different... Yeah, he, he's he's involved in three Grammy nominated recordings this year, two with his own group and then and then one as part of that that new uh the Julia Wolf is nominated for best new composition mm-hmm. that that some so something that was written in the last twenty five years that premiered in this in this past year. And then his other two nominations are with uh, w- with the crossing, uh, the Boyle Voyages and Kyle Smith Ark in the Sky. He is, I- I've had the privilege of working with him. He mm. he is one of the people that I can really call a genius and and not be worried that I'm exaggerating. Uh, and the crossing is full of many of the best musicians working today. The the music that they do, you don't even know that music like this exists. Mo- most people have never heard it. Because it, it, the way it uses rhythm, the way it uses sound, the way that it it just totally goes against all expectations of what choral music is going to be, but is stunningly beautiful. I highly recommend checking these out. Jacques, anybody on your Grammy nomination list that you're excited about? Um, yeah, uh, Lizzo. That's who I'm excited about. <laughs> no argument here. I just want to say, let it be known that I believe the first mention of Lizzo on Opera Box Score was one of my maiden voyages where I had to uh, school our friend Toby. So, Toby, if you're listening, you're welcome again. He's not, but I'll, uh, but we can relay it to him. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, tweet Toby. We will. There's a lot of uh, records nominated for um, Record of the Year. Oh, the Lil Nas X and the Billy Ray Cyrus thing. Yeah, okay. Oh yes, yeah, no, they're they're definitely on for for the old town road. Definitely out of my depth here. Um, Ariana Grande, and now that is a name I've heard. <laughs> which, Fanifer, which, from her Nickelodeon, Seven Rings is the one that she oh, got nominated ba, ba, for. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah, which is my yeah yeah. yeah anyway, I so. do like her, but I don't like that song. It's you know what? It's not my favorite of hers. Yeah. There are other things of hers that I like a lot more that are a little bit less uh, quotey and sampley that show off a little bit more of her. We will uh, circle back on those, of course. That's at the end of January to take a look at the Grammy Award winners. Coming up, Placido Domingo. He is that guy who just won't go away. That's up next, only on Opera Box Score. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1, Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago. 
You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Listed as a must-listen podcast for opera by Playbill, week after week, Opera Box Score is expanding its reach, discussing news of the business, talking to opera's most important players, and infotaining the neophytes, conoscenti, and everyone in between. So Literally I'm, everyone. I'm always watching those like data videos, like how uh, like a certain artist like was dominant. Do you like, have one for neophytes? One no, of the I'm thinking graphs. about the play, you know the Playbill. Like, what is the most popular opera podcast, and how we're always dominating that. Yeah, we are. Week after week. <laughs> week after week after week. If you are new to the podcast, look back on our archives to find interviews with the likes of award-winning opera director Paul Curran, the Mozart specialist Regula Mühlmann, and the star of the Mets' sold-out production of Akhenaten. Sorry, Weston, you won't get to go see it in person this <sighs> time. Anthony Ruff Costanzo. Did anybody see the HD? I couldn't go. My dad did, and he sent me texts the entire time taunting me. And but it's, Wednesday. It's like, and it's like next Wednesday. It's not Wednesday. this Wednesday. It's like next <gasps> Maybe I can make it. December 4th. <gasps> I'm so course, excited. I have a rehearsal. <sighs> You can also use the podcast as a crib sheet to impress your friends with dope opera facts from segments like the OBS Hall of Fame, where we take a deep dive into the works and artists you need to know. That's dope opera facts, not dopey opera facts. <laughs> Wouldn't want to get that confused. <laughs> uh, or, if the blood sport of opera is what you crave, check out our TKO segments, where two singers duel to the death for the crown of bel canto supremacy in some of the most difficult arias in the repertoire. There will be no survivors. It takes me back to my conservatory days. I remember them well. <laughs> Access the complete archives by adding Opera Box Score to your podcast favorites or stream from Opera Box Score's page on Sunday. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know that happened in Opera Land over the past week. Spanish tenor Placido Domingo gave an interview to the Spanish newspaper El Confidencial in which he said, quote, I've never retaliated, truncated, or harmed anyone's career. I've never made a promise in exchange for favors. What is apparent in my commitment to young singers and my responsibility is in launching so many careers. This year's Opera News Awards were announced, giving baritone Sir Thomas Allen, bel canto tenor Javier Camarena, countertenor Anthony Roth Costanzo, sopranos Diana Damrau and Ana Maria Martinez, the magazine's highest honor. They'll be fated at a black tie gala in April 2020. Peter Gelb, the Metropolitan Opera's general manager, has had his contract extended through the 2026 season. Canadian stage director Julie McIsaac has been selected as the inaugural dramaturg in residence with the Canadian Opera Company. Spanish stage director Calixto Bieto is creating a new production of Verdi's Otello for the Hamburg State Opera. According to an ad in the local paper, he's seeking, quote, extremely corpulent cast members of both sexes for December-January rehearsals. On the DL, Jürgen Flim, the former intendant of the Berlin Staatsoper, has let it be known he's lucky to be alive. He fell off his horse while riding out on a farm, suffered a double neck fracture, five operations, and spent two months in five different hospitals. Exit stage right English stage director Jonathan Miller, who died last Wednesday at the age of 85. Conductor Maris Janssens has died at 77. And on this day, Aaron Copeland died in 1990. It's the birthday of soprano Maria Callas, who was born in 1923. And in 1877, it was the premiere of Sasson's Samson and Delilah. That's your two-minute drill.
Maria Callas singing from Sanson and Delilah Moncur, S'ouvre à ta voix. That was a recording made for 1961, conducted by Georges Pratra. 1923 was when she was born. We were trying to do the math on how old she'd be today. 96. 96. But she died in 1977, I think it was. Yes. Like, yeah. Allegedly. Alleg- <laughs> allegedly died. Or in the Elvis <laughs> category. <laughs> There are, like, weird conspiracy theories that she might have been poisoned by one of her friends to try to inherit the money that was supposed to go for a, toward a foundation. Uh, like, these have been published in actual biographies of Maria Callas. That is wild, but to be fair, I kind of buy it, like, a little. <laughs> it's Opera Box Score in WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist uh, in the Lakeside studio tonight, along with Matt Cummings. Ashley Hardgrave, and our guest, K.F. Jacques. Jacques, what do you want to talk about here? What's, what's a headline from the past week that has got you fired up for a hot take? Man, uh, I would say this Domingo thing. He, uh, just, just stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's best to be silent. Okay, yeah, I, I like think this. he will now. Right. <laughs> it's clearly worked so far. Yeah. Um, this is one of the first interviews I think he's given, you know, after the recent spate of allegations. This is why it's in it's in the news right now. How Bush League is it to do it with a newspaper that's Spanish, right? <laughs> it's just the grossest of the gross. Well, I'm sure that that's where you can f- he he uh, we I mean, we've talked on the show before about how the European audiences are not quite abandoning him in the same way as the American audiences. So I'm sure he found that he he thought that he would have a more sympathetic audience with this interviewer. He's the Bill Cosby of his industry. Yikes. Jacques punching below the belt. No, (laughs) not really. Well, this is the thing. I mean, that's what got him in trouble in the first (laughs) place. Exactly. Right. And he justified it through this like Spanish idea of gallantry and chivalry. And in in the interview, he says, quote, these are behaviors that if in the past they could have been considered fulfilled or gestures of gallantry, today they are perceived very differently. No, that always hurt women, just no one was able to talk about it until now. So you're wrong. It's gaslighting at its finest. Like, oh, I'm sorry that you misinterpreted my behavior. I'm sorry that you're too sensitive. I'm sorry that you're the one that has a problem with this. Yeah, exactly. And Domingo, for even before the story broke, it's it's been apparent to me for for a while that he, if at one point he was he was in it for the art and he was in it for furthering the world of opera, that kind of has given away to his sense of centrality to the art and just feeding his ego by not only still singing, but singing baritone and conducting and directing and uh, being the intendant of two different opera companies at the same time. It, and he uses that, he's using all of that now as this kind of smoke screen to say, well, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly have done anything wrong. Look at all the, look at all I, I've done for this art before. And it's like, okay, talk, like, yeah, it's like when billionaires okay, put boomer. together charities so that they look like the good guys when they're actually taking advantage of the tax loopholes that are making the reasons for these charities in the first place. Yeah. Too deep? Too much? Not at all. I, I right just, there with you. When's it, when's it going to end? You know, that's... Ah, that's the. That's Not my, anytime soon if we still have uh, boards like the one at the Metropolitan Opera. Ooh, ah, over to you, Matt up. Cummings. So okay. what, are you, what are you up in arms about just with our two-minute drill? Peter Gelb... Ha- 
there's no universe in which Peter Gelb <laughs> and people at the Metropolitan Opera how we're unaware of all the stories that have broken in the last three years. You really think it's possible for all of the rumors and with uh, all of the people who said that they had had experiences with James Levine and Placido Domingo and like the list goes on and on and on and on that none of those concerns ever made it to the general director of the biggest opera company in the world. That's just, it's impossible. There's absolutely no way. And the, and they, and now that he's able to, He's able to cover up their culpability by distancing himself after the fact, after it became so open that there was no more plausible deniability. And on top of all of that, he hasn't even been that good of a general director. Only a handful of his productions have been successes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've get, they've stopped using productions that were really effective and, and, and replaced them with new ones that work less well. Basically, everything he does is some sort of gimmick that or regurgitation. Yeah, yeah. and it I don't and it just goes to show that when you have these kind of conservative reactionary boards that are mostly made up of rich philanthropists, it, it's an anchor weighing down the progress of the art form. Well, this is what they know. They know Gelb. So as much as it's like, oh, this guy's doing some things that are kind of unsavory, or maybe he should have known about this that didn't. We know this guy. We yeah. It's when you are that personal with this person, or you're like, oh, he couldn't possibly have have allowed this to go on because we know the guy. He's sitting across from us at the table at these board meetings. But that's why he's the safe choice to retain because it would be more bold it would be more audacious for them to be like you know what pg out see you later we're gonna go with somebody different and they're not ready to make that move yeah ultimately his legacy should be the met in hd broadcasts right Right. it should be that is that is something that i'm so behind and have have been the biggest fan of from day one on this show and elsewhere but his legacy in fact as you say matt is going to be covering up yeah. allegations of sexual harassment. Which, in, in his defense, he's far from the only person who is sure. implicated in those covers. I, I mean, that's say, not really a defense. It, but. I mean, like, <laughs> as as a former opera singer, like, you know, and I was, like, long time ago. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, there was a totally different culture back then. And I'm not trying to make excuses for anyone, but I can say for sure, without a doubt, it was encouraged. It was one of those things where once you came up with a certain stat to a certain status, you know, um, those things were those stories came from you know people that were seeing it firsthand, totally. or the actual victims were uh, telling these stories at dinner parties as like a heroic thing, you know. Yeah, Which, yeah. You know, I mean, and again, I don't want to blame victims, and I don't want people to think that I'm taking sides with someone who is who's being inappropriate but um but things are different now things have changed and, and a lot more people are going to go down it's it's true that not long ago so many of these escapades would have elicited high fives instead of shame on yous and how dare yous i and mean watch any 90s sitcom and see what sure what kinds oh of jokes sure. they were writing yeah. and and that's why the 78 year old man is confused about why people are uh why he should go kick rocks right mm-hmm. exactly ashley do you have a item in the two minute drill this week well, speaking of things that can objectify women, possibly, um, this whole thing with the Hamburg Opera and their uh, their request for uh, for for larger corpulent singers, you know, I don't really know how to feel about this. I started to. I, I, I really thought that I would feel one way when I heard this information and I I didn't have the reaction that I thought I was going to have. So then I had to kind of look within and think about it for a second. And as I pulled the lens back, I'm like, 
if this ad was in reverse and they were asking for like terribly skinny, terribly gaunt singers, there would be an uproar. We would be furious and like, I can't believe that you would ask for something so specific. So should we feel anger because it's going the other way? Or is this, you know, kind of a small step in a, in a fat acceptance body positivity movement? Is it, is it gross pandering or is it progress? And I legitimately don't know how I feel about it yet. So this headline has confused me for, you know, the day and a half that I've known it existed. Yeah. I kind of think it remains to be seen how he, like what his vision is for, for these casting decisions. Yeah. Is it a mockery? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, And is it, is it something that is taking advantage of people? Is it something that, uh, or is it something that's really trying to make a, a bigger indictment of society? Uh, I could, I mean, it could kind of go either way. <laughs> I want to see it. I'll tell you that right now. Mm. Road trip. It's, let's do it. Hamburg is lovely this time of year. Oh, when those, isn't it, George? Those, those big Mark herrings at the fish auctions halla, right there. Drink and the Raperbahn. The um. Director Calixto Bieto, I mean, he is one of the true bad boys of opera. Uh, this guy, he has absolutely no scruples about protecting his audience or being delicate at all. He has created a career out of this. This is this is the least surprising thing I've come across in recent days. That of all people, Calixto Bieto would like. Yes, I want. Extreme corpulent, yeah. Actors, I don't know, and I don't know if these are like extras or singers. It's not, yeah. Uh, it's like, not clear from the uh, the ad here in the Hamburger Abendblatt. Yeah, just like, but a a penchant for edginess doesn't really move the needle either in either direction for mm-hmm. me. Like we, uh, in some ways, that can be a hindrance to to really. You know, keeping your finger on the pulse of what you, of what people are what you're trying to say yes. as, as much as a help. You yes. know, like we definitely see that with Louis C.K. Mm. He keeps coming, trying to come back and make these big state big statements that just illustrate how bankrupt his can comeback hear, is. Can you hear the veins popping out yeah. of my temples? I, 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 I can on my... see them. <laughs> well, I, and you know, this also leads me to the question: Should we do a little bit of investigative journalism? Should one of us answer this ad? I mean, I'm borderline corpulent, and if I pose just the wrong way, then I could absolutely pass. I think so. Maybe we should. Uh, maybe we should do a little journey and see. F- see free, if we can... free in January and February for eight performances. I certainly could yeah. be if I had if I made a few calls. I, Jonathan Miller died last Wednesday at the age of eighty-five. Um, he was one of my all-time favorite stage directors, and this is this is genuinely crushing news. I mean, clearly it was his time. Eighty-five is no spring chicken. He started off uh, as a uh, a member of the Cambridge Footlights, so at the University of Cambridge in England, which is this. That's where like one of the sort of um, improv comedy writing clubs or troops that they have. He then was part of Beyond the Fringe, which was with Peter Cook and Dudley Moore in the mm-hmm. 60s. He then trained to be a doctor, and for much of his life, he was a brain surgeon. And he left the field of medicine multiple times to go and direct plays and operas. He was always doing classical work. He rarely did new pieces, new commissions. But many of the productions that he did design and that he did do were done in updates. And he really kind of, he brought real taste and real quality to doing 
updated premieres. He did a version of Rigoletto, which was set in a sort of mobster New York. He did this iconic production of Gilbert and Sullivan's The Mikado, uh, an English national opera, which was completely like monochromatic in the, sort of a 1920s black and white setting. Not that the guy was working so much anymore now, and his productions are still, of course, in the repertoire in many houses. But just to know, as from one director to another, that Jonathan Miller is no longer alive is just so, so crushing. I really, I'm so moved by that, and it's really disappointing. I hope he rests in peace. Let's wrap this show up. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. Thanks, everybody out there for hanging out with us tonight on America's Talk radio show about opera. Time for our good call, bad call. We're going to start with our guest co-host tonight, K.F. Jacques. Jacques, what do you got tonight, a good call or a bad call? Uh, Let's see here. We're going to come back to you. (laughs) Matt Cummings over in the interview studio. I don't have enough time to give her the, the, uh, the full segment that should be dedicated to her, but I went with Oliver to the Sondra Rabinovsky Three Queens concert at Lyric Opera yesterday. Oh my goodness, that woman can sing. Just... I mean, the the production was really based around her just spinning out an hour of glorious vocalism and doing absolutely everything that she wants to with high notes and low notes and loud notes and soft notes. And so the, her phrasing is so bold because she can sing about one and a half times as long as anyone else uh, on one breath. And I was just consistently blown away by how amazing her vocalism and her dramatic commitment was to these to, well, to these scenes. We'll do a, we'll do a Monday evening quarterback yeah. uh, segment on it. Highly recommend. Uh, Jacques has finished his slice of pizza, so now he can say... Matt has inspired me. I want to like give a really good call out to Ryan McKinney. That's my boy. He yes. did um, Dead Man Walking. Oh my god. It was amazing, and he even made time to go out and have a little lunch with me. We met in Italy way back <laughs> in the day. Drink. And he's jumping in for Don Giovanni this week, too. Yes, he is. Ashley Hardgrave. Is he really? Yeah. Last minute. This is my my good call. It's more of a congratulations call. I want to congratulate a Franco-Swiss pianist and conductor named Alfred Cordeaux, who sold one of only five portraits of Mozart from his lifetime for a whopping $4.4 million at auction and will be getting an invitation from me to my GoFundMe. Very nice. Hey, want to give a shout out to one of our donors, Randy in Seattle. Thanks for giving. Thanks for listening. That's it on this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. The general managers at WNUR are Henry Moskal and Somil Songvi. Our announcer is Norm Waddell at VoxerShorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra, with opera statistics and on-this-day content from OperaBase.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. Please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Matt Cummings, Ashley Hardgrave, and our guest co-host, K.F. Jacques. I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera with only 22 more shopping days till Christmas. We're back on Monday, December 9, 9 p.m. Central. More opera news, more hot takes, more holiday cheer. Join us. This is WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago. Chicago Sound Experiments.